Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. The revival I want to talk to you about today is called the revival of stillness. In Psalm 34, verse 14, it says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. How do you know if something is God or not? You know, when we're trying to interpret and understand what the voice of the Lord is saying, well, if it's peaceful, most likely it's Jesus. That's right. Amen? Amen. And if you say, I really want to hear God's voice better, I want to encourage you to learn how to speak his language. And his language is his word. And the more familiar we become with God's vocabulary, the more sensitive we become to his voice as he speaks to us. But seeking peace and pursue it helps us to know the direction oftentimes if we don't hear the voice of the Lord directly to us, we have an idea of which way to go in. But peace is not just a attribute or a feeling or characteristic, it is a person. Peace is a person. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is peace. He's where all peace comes from. He is the source of all of it. In Psalms 30, or 23 verse 2, it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, or other versions say quiet waters. Thomas Watson said, he said, The godly man or woman, when he dies, enters into the peace. But while he lives, peace must enter into him. You know, there's a reason why Jesus said, when we pray, pray like this, our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we die, we enter into peace, but while we're on this earth, peace must enter into us. He said that can sometimes seem to be a difficult transaction when war is raging all around us. However, an illustration by Henry Drummond, who lived 1851 to 1897, said this. Two painters each painted a picture to illustrate his conception of rest. The first he chose for his scene was a still, lone lake among the far-off mountains. He said that's the first picture. He said the second threw on his canvas a thundering waterfall with a fragile birch tree bending over the foam that came up from the waterfall at the fork of the branch, almost wet with the white water spray, a robin sat on its nest. The first painting was only stagnation. The next one was rest. 
We tend to think peace is when I got money in my pocket and I have money in the bank account and I'm happy with everyone and everybody's happy with me. And when I drive, nobody cuts me off. <laughs> Even if they're from Pennsylvania. But anyway, you know, and, and we've got to have certain things in order sometimes for us to walk in peace. But that's why we seek peace and pursue it. Because as we seek peace, and peace is a person, and he abides in us. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will, and it shall be done unto you. We live by faith when we seek peace and pursue it. You see, there's something about a revival of stillness that God wants his, his church to understand because he will not take shortcuts when it comes to pouring out his spirit for revival and awakening. Stillness is being at peace with God and it is the key to personal revival. Now, I'm not telling you today that you are responsible for corporate revival. That is something only God can do. And even your personal revival, you partner with God for Him to allow Him to move in your heart and your mind. That's personal revival. You know, after Joshua came out of Egypt, he then faced the Amorites. In Deuteronomy 1.27, it says, You complained in your tents. Remember, Moses is leading two million people across the desert that it was only supposed to take them about two weeks to get to the promised land that God told them he already gave to them but it took them 40 years and as they're going through the wilderness they're missing their home of Egypt because as they're going along this is what he said and you complained in your tents and said because the Lord hates us does God hate them no, but they have this idea because they're not seeking peace and pursuing it. They have this mindset because their surroundings are changing them and they are not changing their surroundings. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Do you know that after we are freed from the enslavement of sin, and sin is what separates us from God? Do you know that after Jesus sets you free, you are born again, you surrender your life to the Lord? That the Holy Spirit uses stillness to renew our minds. You can be responsible in this life and not have to become a busybody. You have a marriage, a lot of you. You have kids, you have jobs, you have responsibilities in the church. Maybe there's other things that you give yourself to. But unless you seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, unless you seek peace and pursue it, you will not have a revival of stillness. And until the revival of stillness hits the heart of the church body, we will not see corporate revival outside of our personal revival. God wants revival more than we do. And if we are coming up with bad theology that God hates us when he gave his life for us and freed us from sin, it's only because we have that mindset is because we're not sitting still. We don't know how to sit still. In Joshua 10, verses 12 through 13, it says, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered the Amorites. Now let me say this. The Amorites represent the renewal of the mind. Egypt represents coming out of sin, and now the Amorites represent your soul that needs to be renewed. 
So just because you get set free from sin, your mind, emotions, and will, let's say you got born again when you were 30 years old, for 30 years you were thinking according to the world system. You were a slave to sin. When Jesus said, I set you free, the chain is broken, it's kind of hard to know how to live outside of a prison cell. And see what happened is Israel was set free from the Egyptians, but now they're facing the Amorites. God already told them that I have prepared the way for you. That if you would just follow me and be still, I will help you to be successful. To have peace in your life despite busyness. He said the Lord delivered the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajilon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. What is this, Eric? What are you talking about? I'm saying when you get born again, you have power. You have authority. And what you don't need to do is to walk in with this inheritance that God has given you, this new life, this new mindset that he said is available for you and me, and still live a defeated life. A life full of strife and hopelessness and depression and loneliness. See, being born again, friend, is not just praying a prayer. That's part of it. You surrender your life to Jesus. Nobody else could do that for you, kids. Your parents cannot do that for you. You may be in a Christian home. You may be in a Christian church, but that doesn't make you a Christian. You must be born again. Husbands, your wife may be serving in the church, and you come occasionally to make her happy, but that doesn't make you born again. We each have to surrender our own will to the Lord and have revelation and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. As he reveals those things to us, he empowers us to live a holy life, a life of separation unto God, where we seek first his kingdom and righteousness and watch all things be added to us. We see peace. We see joy. We have victory. That is the normal Christian life. You know, I see these signs. People may or may not like uh, the former president or this president. The words that they put on their signs of how they feel about somebody. You know what I do? I go by and I say, well, Lord, I bless this president in Jesus' name. But here's the difference. When I wasn't born again, I would cuss you out in a heartbeat, friend. I would intimidate you. I would be up in your face. But it's because I didn't seek peace. I didn't know peace. I prayed prayers to receive Jesus, but I wasn't free. And I didn't have a renewed mind. And God was saying, I want to bring you out of Egypt. I want to help you conquer the Amorites. I'll conquer yourself. I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross and come follow me. And understand that true freedom will help you to walk and find the destiny and purpose that God has for your life. If you want to know what the will of God is, you're not going to find it by living in sin. You're not going to find it by making excuses and comparing yourself to other people. You simply have to surrender and say, God, here am I. Do with me whatever you want to do. Once a week in our house, 
we have something called the blessing box and we take little sticky pads of paper and we write something for everybody in our family as a form of a blessing to speak over each other. And we put it in and everybody, you know, we fold it and then we all read it to each other. You know, sometimes it takes a little bit of time and a lot of times it's very funny. <laughs> but my kids all sent me one last night because I wasn't there with them. And then at the same time, I got a blessing from a spiritual son in the Philippines. He was a transvestite when I met him years ago. And he blessed me saying, I just want you to know how much it means to me that you believed in me when nobody else did. I, I'm not telling you that just to receive accolades for that. I already received it when I read that. But I tell you that because I'm saying if we don't live a life of peace, it's because we don't have the understanding of how to live in stillness before God. We don't know how to still ourselves. Try to put your phone down for one minute. Try to put your phone down for five minutes, 10 minutes. How about an hour? Try to put away anything so that you can go seek God. But through stillness, God wants to bring peace to your lives, to your marriage, your children, your ministry and work. I was a youth pastor. I was religious. I knew about God, but I didn't know God. And I was busy in church. I had 80 teenagers in the youth group. The church had grown from 100 to 500. We had 40 acres of land. We were doing special events where thousands of people, we would do a 4th of July event every year where 55,000 people would come out. And we'd have $10,000 worth of fireworks. And we had a $12,000 outdoor stage. And it was this big deal. We were the biggest fireworks show on the Eastern Shore. We did Christmas cantatas, Easter cantatas, monthly events with the young people. And friend, I want to tell you, I didn't have peace. I was busy, but I wasn't right with God. And I would pray the same way all the time. It became so religious. I'd read a chapter and not know how to apply it. And then one day, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Eric, you know how to pray as a minister, but you don't know how to pray as a son. And it hit me right here. And I don't know that I ever heard God speak so directly like that. And I was humbled. Eight months later, I'm standing in front of that church repenting for an addiction to pornography, to, for lust, for all kinds of sin that I was a slave to. When those chains broke off me on that Sunday morning, I've never been the same since then. And when I go to meet with Jesus now, it's not about just trying to get a message. It's not about just doing my duty. It's about surrendering my will. It's about saying, I need you. I want to hear from you. I've got to be with the Lord. I've got to go seek him. While he may be found and call upon his name while he's near. I'm talking about what God can do in your life. I'm talking about how God brought peace to mine and Casey's marriage. Many of you know my amazing wife. We've been married for 25 years now, but when we first got married and all this junk came to the surface, we were fighting. We were talking about divorce the first six months to a year, and we go down to Brownsville Revival after I get radically set free and God moves in Casey's heart. And while we're down there, how many of you know that Revival brings up more stuff? Because when you come out of Egypt, the Amorites are waiting. And again, the Amorites are your flesh. 
are the works of the enemy that are ready to attack and destroy your life. Casey and I used to fight so much. I'm talking about physically fighting. I never hit her, but I would be so mad. I remember she being so afraid of me at times, she would run into the bathroom, slam a door and lock it, and I'd punch 13 holes in the door, and I'd rip the door off the hinges, and i see myself in a mirror, and i fall to the ground and weep, because I know God had already changed me. Where's this coming from? See, we don't like to talk about this stuff. You know why? Because we make it sound like once you get born again, everything's perfect. Well, you know, Hebrews 10, 14 tells us that we are perfected in Christ, but we're still becoming holy. He's not going to leave you. He knows if you're still struggling with something. He knows that. Be honest with him. Cry out to him and ask for help. Get accountability. We got accountability. We started to pray over each other. We read these books, The Power of a Praying Husband, The Power of a Praying Wife. We read those books and took 10 scriptures from each chapter. It's just something the Lord gave us. And this while our first six months in the Philippines. We start confessing 10 scriptures a week over each other for the next three months. We, ha we had such a breakthrough at that time that everything has been so radically different in our marriage. Friend, I don't want to promote to you something that we're perfect. But what I do want you to know is that it's possible to mature. It's possible to walk in freedom and grow in the greater grace that you've already been given in Christ and learn how to appropriate it to your life and kick the Amorites out of your life. And take the land that God has given you. There's a reason why some of you are stagnating. Because you don't know how to rest. And there's a revival of stillness today. Maybe I've shared this before, but our eldest daughter, Sarah, is 24. When she was a child, she was the strong-willed child. She was enforcing her will upon our lives. And it created havoc. We didn't know what we were doing because neither one of us were really lovingly corrected when we were younger. But when we had kids, it was like, what do we do? How do we do this? We knew what we were reading in the Bible. We didn't know how to apply it. But here's the issue. If you want to help somebody else, you have to be in control. You need to have self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And see, once we started to submit ourselves to the Lord and to one another, and then live in a state of wanting to honor our children, not rule over them, then we started to have kids that learn how to be still before God. They used to take Sierra and sit her down as like a three, four-year-old and say, let's sit still, Sierra, for 30 seconds. Then she learned how to do that. We got up to a minute, a minute. We got up to three minutes. We got up to five minutes. We got up to 15 minutes where she would sit still. And I believe that that was key to teaching Sierra how to hear the voice of God along with how we would lovingly correct her. Sierra is now 24. She just graduated from after having a full scholarship to Regent University where God spoke to her to go. Since she was 14, she's desired to be a missionary to Japan. And this October at the Fire International Missions Conference in Concord, North Carolina, where we are missionary, that's our missionary organization we're with, my daughter Sierra is going to be presented as a missionary to Japan. And she will most likely be moving there before April of next year. She already has two job offers. How does that happen? You get your life right with God. You get your life right with your spouse. You get your right, life right with your kids. 
And then God begins to move through your ministry and your workplace. Psalms 46 verse 10, I'm almost through. Be still and know that he is God, that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You pause every morning and you meet with Jesus and you cry out to him and you hear from him and you watch him prepare the way before you. And when there's a sea in front of you, he splits it and things happen. And the people that you poured into in the Philippines, they rise up and they start moving and the power of God starts being effective through their lives because they're seeking peace and pursuing it. I don't want to just teach people information. I want them to teach them relationship. Let's just go to Mark 4, 35 through 41. We'll be done. Mark 4, 35. On the same day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let's cross to Israel in the desert. Let's cross from Egypt and go to the Amorites. I've already given you the land. Let's cross to the other side. You know what? They probably had confidence. Well, if God could deliver us from Egypt, he can deliver us from the Amorites. But then this is what the problem was. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. God, do you care about me? I've set you free from Egypt. I've already told you I've given you the Amorites. It's the in-between stage of you dealing with your flesh that's the problem. The Amorites only became bigger when their God became smaller. Because he was so big, he was huge when he got out of Egypt. God did this massive deliverance, set them free from the enslavement of Pharaoh. And then what happened? He splits the Red Sea, destroys the Egyptian army, and says, go. I've prepared the way for you. Many of us have had that type of salvation experience. How many of you remember when Jesus saved you? When he did something that nobody else could do? If you don't remember that, then it's going to be hard for you to take on the Amorites. Because God starts here first in our heart. And when he conquers our heart, he starts to conquer our minds. When we get free from our enslavement in Egypt, and God's preparing, saying, okay, I'm going to bring you, and you're going to take the ground of the Amorites, we should have the confidence because we have the seal of the Holy Spirit upon our heart. That he's with us, and he will never leave us or forsake us. Therefore, Joshua and Caleb were like, let's go take the land. Do you know that when they said, let's go take the land, they could have been from Egypt again to the promised land in two weeks. But Israel said, we don't want to go in there. We're afraid of those giants. We don't want to deal with our flesh. We want to go our way. And God said, because he's graceful, loving, and kind, and patient, that he wants them to be saved. And if they won't do it his way, he's going to wait until they have some type of breakthrough. Even if that breakthrough takes 40 years. And that's what it took. And unfortunately, some people's time ran out. And many died in the wilderness. Because they refused to appreciate 
the deliverance from Egypt and they didn't know what to do with the Amorites and they were so afraid of what was happening in their life at that moment that if they just surrendered and sought peace and pursued it, if they just made themselves still before God, they could have had the boldness and the courage of Joshua and Caleb to take the land. But they didn't. This is where the church is right now. God is giving us an opportunity to know that we can personally take responsibility and allow him to restore our hearts and to begin to renew our minds so that we can follow him and be victorious every single day of our life. He said, go to the, let's go to the other side. Verse 36, now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling with water. <laughs> I love this. He was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. <laughs> totally at peace. Amen. Totally still, not worried, not anxious. He's fully in control. And a storm's happening. So you really don't know what's in you until a storm comes sometimes. And sometimes God allows those storms because he wants you to realize that greater is he who's in you than he that's in the world. He doesn't want the storm to defeat you. He wants you to overcome. Because when you overcome your first storm, you'll be able to have faith for the next one. And the more that you overcome these storms in life, you have testimonies. So that you begin to make disciples who make disciples. And you model before them that God has been faithful, that he's never left you or forsaken you. And you have incredible testimonies of breakthrough of what the Lord has done for you. Even when you didn't know which direction to go in. If you learn how to be still and know that he's God, Amen. he seems to know what he's doing. Hallelujah. He's sleeping. They woke him up and said, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? You ever pray a prayer like this? Don't lie. You know you did. <laughs> then he rose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, peace, be still. Yeah. I believe the Lord's saying that to your hearts today, to my heart. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, said to each other, Who can this be, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Listen, I believe today the Lord is calling us to come and be still before him, to present ourselves to him. In Exodus 14, 13, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. You could be so born again today, friend, that that old life doesn't have control over you anymore. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.